Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I should also mention that the UV index for today is a high for today and tomorrow. So if you're going out and about, make sure you've got your sunscreen on. A very good Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got Bernie uh, sitting in for John Paul again today. He's taking a couple of days off. So Bernie taking your calls at 0818103103. Anything you want to share with us, you can also use the text in the WhatsApp service 086 to 103 103 and of course you could email Cork today at c103.ie The five boys who were arrested for the involvement in that shocking shocking assault on that young 14 year old uh, boy in Navan. Uh, those boys are making the papers again today because it seems now the four boys or the five boys involved have had to be given detailed personal security advice by the Gardaí. Why? They have received abuse and threats online. And of course, this is the one thing about when that fight went viral. Obviously, for the Gardaí, it made their job a little bit easier. They were very, very easy to identify them because of this uh, video footage. But equally, certainly anybody living in the Navin, Navin area, very easy to identify them. And then people start sharing the names of who they are. Easy, very easy then to find them with because all young people have social media accounts. And through that, they've started to receive very abusive and um, threats on a line. Now, all five, they were arrested last Friday. It was a week ago yesterday that the assault happened. And then on Friday, they were were released. They were arrested and then released without uh, charge. And of course, as we spoke about last week, they were questioned by specialist officers about their role in last Monday week's uh, attack. But investigating Gardaí are now saying that they are aware of the volume of abuse and threats made against the five boys once the video started to go viral from last Wednesday. And they say on that basis, they've now given detailed security advice. They've told them, for example, to stay off social media. And they're told, they seemingly told them to stay off social media for a good number of uh, months uh, because their own mental health welfare has to be considered. And that's a, a big factor in the recommendations that have been put forward from the uh, Gardaí because of the volume of abusive texts and uh, threats that they have been receiving. Now, the Gardaí are saying that while there have been threats, it's not the case like the threats that would be received, say, in a gangland uh, case, you know, where a threat like that is an imminent danger to the person's uh, life. And, you know, cases like that, they, they go to the person being threatened in the gangland case and the advice would be you need to move house, you really need to, you know, 
go hide for a little while. They're saying this is very different then. The risk assessment here is far lower. A lot of this is keyboard warriors more than anything else. But they are saying at the same time it was deemed that the boys did get proper security advice. And I say one of the main ones is telling them to just literally stay off uh, social media. And it's also emerged that one of the main lines in the investigation is that the brutal assault stemmed from a row on Snapchat. Now, it seemingly was a row on Snapchat that started over remarks that one of the boys involved in the assault had made about a female relative of the victim. And seemingly that's how it all uh, started. It's been confirmed, obviously, that the parents of the five boys who were arrested and released fully cooperating with uh, on Garda uh, Siakona. And of course, it is still expected that the boys will avoid a criminal charge, even though it is still being investigated as a hate crime, but they will avoid a criminal charge and they instead will be given a caution under the juvenile diversion uh, programme. But it is looking like, uh, I imagine all five of them are stopping to think what did they actually get involved in last week and they may regret it for a very, very uh, long time to come. 0818 103 103 and staying on stories then to do with young people. Madeleine McCann and pictures of Madeleine McCann again all over the papers and it's 16 years ago since Madeleine McCann first went missing and it's one of those stories I think nearly, there's very few places in the world you could go where a picture of Madeleine McCann wouldn't appear and people wouldn't know the name of this little girl and uh, what happened to her but ultimately what happened to her uh, we still don't know. It's German police now are involved they're looking for Madeleine McCann's body and they're about to begin a major research, a major search of a remote Algarve reservoir. And the reason that they're going, <coughs> they're looking at this reservoir is the main sub- suspect who the Germans believe could possibly have been involved in the abduct in the abduction of Madeleine McCann is a guy by the name of Christian uh, uh, Necker. Uh, he used to visit this reservoir, and the Portuguese police now have closed off the roads leading to it's a man-made dam near the town of Silvis, and it's ahead of the official start of the search. Scotland Yard detectives they're understood to have also travelled to the area, but they're not involved in the state in the search. They say they're there with a watching brief. The search of this reservoir is expected to last at least two days. It could go beyond two days if anything of relevance is found. And it will be the first major operation of its kind since June of 2014. And at that stage, British police were given permission. They carried out digs in the Portuguese resort of Praia de Luz that involves sniffer dogs trained in detecting bodies. And they also had ground penetrating radar but of course they found nothing. The area to be searched today near this reservoir is also the reason that there this could be one of the reasons that they're looking at it. A, a lorry driver at the time said he saw a woman handing over a child that looked like Madeleine McCann to a man in that area and that was two days after Madeleine went uh, missing. 3rd of May 2007. Now, this reservoir has been searched twice before. It was first searched in uh, February. It was a private funded 
operation by a lawyer that was involved. But remember at the time, the McCanns, Jerry and Kate McCann, dismissed it and said that the guy involved with funding it was a self-publicist. And they said there was no evidence suggesting there was any link to their daughter and that uh, reservoir. And then in March of 2008, there was another search this time. I think it was done by the Portuguese uh, police. Now, it's not immediately clear what has prompted this week's operation by the German police, because it does look like it's been hastily uh, arranged. And what people are wondering now is, have the Germans received a new tip off? Or have they been interested in this site for quite some time? Because they do know that this German man, this the only souls uh, suspect, had been living in the area, was in the area at the time that Madeleine went mi- missing and frequented a-, a lot of places around this reservoir and had been known to visit this uh, reservoir. One well-placed source in the papers described it as a German-led operation. It is being coordinated, though, with the help of the Portuguese uh, police and it's linked to information the authorities has gleaned pointing to regular trips that this Brunecker had made to the uh, dam. And the he, that man is currently serving time. That was for a rape of an American pensioner in the resort, which happened about two years before Madeline went missing. Last autumn, he was also charged in Germany with several sexual crimes on the Algarve against women and children. And one of those actually included the rape of an Irish hotel rep in 2004. And there was also sexual abuse of a 10-year-old girl on a beach near Praia de Luz. So you could understand why he's been the focus of the Germans' uh, attention. So, as I say, you'll pick up the papers today and little Madeleine McCann, her picture all over the papers. But you would just feel for the family's sake to try to bring some closure uh, to this case 16 years on. And actually, it was only earlier this month that Kate and Jerry McCann uh, point, uh, posted up what was a poignant tribute to what would have been Madeleine's 20th birthday because of course she was just she was coming to her fourth birthday wasn't she when she went missing and they put up they put up a a little picture of her and saying we love you we're waiting for you and we're never going to give up and you have to say that about the McCanns they have never given up hope of finding uh, their little girl who would now be a young woman a 20 year old woman 0818 103 103 Bernie taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103, 103. Uh, Martin in North Cork on the five juveniles who were arrested and uh, released uh, without uh, charge for the attack on that 14 year old uh, boy and I was saying you know because now they're getting such ferocious abuse and threats online will it really make them stop and think about what they did and you know will it affect them for the rest of their lives Um, Martin says will those boys really think about what they have done I don't think they will but that attack was just pure evil. All they will get is a useless caution, slap on the back of the wrist. What about the victim? The victim will live with this for the rest of his life. Martin feels something should be done. They should the five juveniles should be put into some kind of a juvenile detention place. After all, they did commit a crime. And the guard, the Europeans, to point out that the incident is being treated as a hate uh, crime, but it's still expected that they'll go through the juvenile diversion programme because that is the system that that is in place. Thank you for your text, Martin. 086 103 Irish Heart Foundation, we've teamed up with them uh, this week. 
because they're trying to promote the fact that two in three people over the age of 50 in Ireland have high blood pressure. But the big worry when you dig down into those numbers is only half of those are actually aware that they have it. They are walking around with high blood pressure. So the Irish Heart Foundation are asking everyone, get your blood pressure checked annually at your GPR pharmacy and you can find out more at irishheart.ie. And to keep everybody safe and healthy, they've very kindly given us Fitbits to give away every day this week with an overall prize of a night away for two in Hotel Kilkenny. A little bit later on on the programme, I will invite one listener to join me on air and they'll be given 16 seconds to name five things there'll be five specific things and if they do it they'll win for themselves a Fitbit and also later on Mallow Home and Garden Festival that's happening this weekend with the great news that the sun is going to be shining it looks like for the entire weekend it's on Friday, Saturday and Sunday with over 200 exhibitors and of course there's the incredible permanent gardens will all be on display and they have given us a 500 euro voucher for Dulux paint now you're not just getting the paint because a colour consultant is going to come to your house and will advise you on picking out your colour schemes. Uh, We will have another colour-based question for you and we'll do that a little bit later on on the programme as well. Bernie's taking your calls 0818 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Carrigaline Furniture and Carpet Centre offers some of the best value flooring and carpets in Ireland. Choose from a fantastic range of carpets, laminate, LVT and SPC waterproof flooring with prices up to 40% less expensive than leading competitors. With expert fitting service and a free measuring service, check out the unbelievable value on offer in store and online at carrigalinefurnitureandcarpets.ie. Value that will floor you. National Heritage Week returns from August 12th to 20th and this year celebrates living heritage. Organize an event by exploring and sharing the traditions, crafts and skills passed down through generations in your family or community. Visit heritageweek.ie for more. National Heritage Week supported by the Local Authorities Heritage Officer Network and the Department of Housing, Local Government and Heritage. If you don't have an up-to-date will, it can leave a storm of uncertainty. But this May, the RNLI are offering free will-writing services to over 55s. It could make a real difference to the people you love or to people you've never met. Because if you leave a gift to the RNLI, it will help volunteer crews save lives, whatever the storm. To find out more, search RNLI Wills Cork. Thank you. Don't let cataracts blur your happiness. Skip the long waiting lists at the Cathedral Eye Clinic Belfast, one of Ireland's most advanced award-winning eye hospitals. Now offering a fast-track cataract service, avail of surgery within four to six weeks, with costs reimbursed through the HSE. Regain your vision and trust your eyes to the experts at the Cathedral Eye Clinic. Book your consultation today at cathedraleye.com. Harvey Norman are your dining specialists with incredible savings on dining furniture in stock and ready for quick delivery. Like the Ardmore five-piece extending dining table, including four chairs. Now an incredible 599 saving you 100 euro. Or get 200 euro off the contemporary styled Harley dining table with ceramic tabletop. Now just 699. And for a limited time only, get up to 60 months interest-free finance. Shop these dining deals and so much more in store and online at Harvey Norman, your dining specialists. 
Do you want to make a difference in a child's life? Ordinary people being extraordinary. Become a foster carer with Tusla. You don't need to be a superhero to change a life. It's the ordinary little moments in a foster care journey that show children just how amazing they are. Anyone over 25, parents or not, in a relationship or single, a homeowner or renter, has what it takes to become a foster carer in Cork. Visit fostering.ie for more information today. Tusla, raising amazing. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Now, this is Donor Awareness Week, and this year the Road Safety Authority is supporting the Irish Kidney Association in encouraging road users to register as organ donors. Joining me to discuss why it's so important is Senator Mark Daly, who is the Irish Kidney Association's nominee to the Senate and has been since 2007. Good morning to you, Mark. Morning, Patricia. And, and you're, you're welcome. Now, firstly, roughly how many people have given their consent to organ donation through the driver's licence? At this moment in time, since its introduction about 10 years ago, where um, the question is asked when people are applying for their driving licence, about uh, 1.48 million, so 1.5 million people have indicated their consent to be organ donors. And this is... For those people who have their driving license handy, is actually it's indicated on their driving license with a code at the back of the driving license with code one one five printed on the license. So that indicates to anybody um, that the person wishes to be a, an organ donor, and this is hugely important information, especially for healthcare professionals, but also for families, um, because research has been shown in the United Kingdom that where the families. Uh, are not asked by a, a nurse who is a specialist in in, in the process that they, about 29% of families would donate the loved one organs when they are not aware of their loved one's issues, uh, their wishes. Uh, but that increases to about 57% when a, a nurse asks them would they consider um, donating their loved one's organs. And at that stage, the family wouldn't be aware of their loved one's intentions, and we're, we're encouraging everybody to have that conversation uh, with their loved ones in relation to their intentions. Uh, should should the issue yeah, arise? because I, I th- and I always try and emphasise that point, particularly on weeks like this with um, Donor Awareness Week. Like I certainly have the ticked the box and it's on my that code 115 is on my uh, driver's license but I've also had that conversation Mark so that my family know because most people assume oh well I've I've absolutely I've no problem being an organ donor if God forbid something was to happen but your family still have to give the consent the family give the consent and what makes the family's decision a lot easier is if they're aware and that was shown by this UK research where if they are asked by a nurse specialist and if they are aware uh, of their loved one's intentions, whether it's through this driving license or the, the the organ donor card that the Irish Kidney Association have, or people have had that conversation, uh, then the donor rate increases to 93%. And that, of course, means that more people will be helped out and more families and more lives will be transformed um, by uh, families making that very difficult decision to donate their loved one's organs. So that is, I think, one of the, the very important parts about this week where we're discussing the issue of having that conversation 
that people would make their families aware, but also when it comes to renewing their driving license or getting their driving license, that they would also consider uh, indicating on that application process that they are, want to be an organ donor, and that can be done as well. What we are working on as well in the forthcoming Human Tissue Bill, uh, which would cover the issue of organ donor, uh, is that the the issue about making this information available to the healthcare professionals uh, would be done as well. Because at this moment in time, while the the driving license authority have the information, the healthcare professionals can't act that. Uh, they can't ring up and say, that "Was Mark Daly? Uh, did he indicate he wanted to be an organ donor?" And we we think it would make the the lives of the healthcare professionals a lot easier, but also make the decision for families a lot easier if they if they know their loved ones' intentions through. Yeah, because at the, at the moment that that information is not shared with anyone. It's not shared with the HSC, is it? It's not shared with the healthcare professionals, even though information on your driving license and my driving licenses and everyone out there's driving license is shared with the Gardaí, of course, and and the courts, but it's also shared with the road road toll companies, with the clamping companies and the, the car parking companies as well have access to the information uh, that is on your driving license when it comes to issues around regulation and, and oversight. But uh, it's not made av- available currently to the healthcare professionals. That's something we've been calling on that the, the, the HSE would have access and seek access to that information uh, to make, uh, I suppose, the information available to, to families should the time come. OK, Con, one of our listeners saying, is asking, are we getting any closer to an opt-out procedure for organ donation? We've, yeah, been, ta- we've been talking about that yeah. for a while. Yeah, that is coming uh, forward in the Human Tissue Bill, which is coming to the Health Committee uh, in June. So we will be having that discussion in relation to the opt-out uh, element. And it, again, you know, making your dis- decision to opt-out and letting families know that is important as well. Uh, and having that opt-out registry is part of the process. But in this instance, I suppose, it's having the discussion and the, and the, the consultation with the family and having that conversation is very important um, so that the families uh, know people's intentions uh, at a very difficult time for, for people. And are we seeing an increase, Mark, in the number of kidney transplants? I, the, I suppose the, the, the live donor transplant is an area where we can make huge progress and it's about capacity and having more surgeons and having more uh, uh, theatres available and it can obviously transform lives and, and take people off dialysis uh, and that has been hugely successful in Northern Ireland uh, when they've brought in this expanded uh, live donor uh, process. Um, we're doing that here at the moment, but it's not, not up to the scale that uh, it, it should be at at the moment. Uh, but we're getting there. But it, again, it's you know all part of making sure that when we're doing organ donation, then we're considering it like it does transform the lives of so many people. Um, and, you know, it, it's a very difficult decision. Uh, but, you know, having having, I suppose, more people on the register being aware of their decisions will, will make uh, make the system work better uh, and will make sure that more people's lives are transformed by having a, an organ donation, uh, which they so badly need. And lives literally are transformed, Mark, because we know, you know, there are hundreds of people on that transplant waiting list waiting to get that call. They are and they're waiting and some unfortunately get too sick um, uh, to get the transplant when when the call comes. So, you know, we, we, we want to make sure that when people are on the 
transplant waiting lists that they're there for a very short period of time and that there are enough uh, organs made available uh, and while it's proving more successful than it was previously, it's just a case of making sure that, uh, you know, that the people know about their one's intentions because oftentimes, you know, when they're in doubt, they decide not to donate the loved one's uh, organs and that, of course, means that other lives aren't transformed. And of course, families, uh, you know, when they're in that situation, you can imagine how difficult that decision yeah. can be and having the healthcare professionals there to to talk to them about them and talk them through the process. Um, it means that in in a lot of instances, they do make that decision, uh, but it increases to over 90% when they're aware of their loved one's intention to donate their organs. So that's why, you know, you and I have it on our driving license, mm. but, you know, making our own families aware that it's on the driving license uh, is very important as well. But also, whether we have an organ donor card, even at that just having that conversation with people is very important. Yeah. Okay, listen, Mark, thank you for that. I appreciate you taking time out uh, to talk to us today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Senator Mark Daly, who says the Irish Kidney Association's nominee to the uh, Senate. And this is Organ Donor Week. And actually, uh, they've, the Irish Kidney Association released some amazing figures. It's uh, 2023 is a special year for them because they're celebrating a lot of anniversaries. It's the 60th anniversary, would you believe, of the first transplant that ever took place in Ireland. It was a kidney transplant. It was on a young 21-year-old uh, Dublin man and it took place at the old St. Vincent's Hospital on uh, Stephen's Green and then nine years later so 51 years ago we had the first live donor kidney transplant and that was in Jervis Street in um, Hospital in Dublin and of course there's so many more live donor kidneys now and we've spoken over the years with family members who've donated a father donating to a son or a mother donating to a sister to a brother and it's, it's been incredible the live donor kidney donors and the difference it makes to uh, people's lives and uh, as it is donor week people are asked to support organ donation by sharing your wishes with your loved ones that one is so important and you're encouraged to keep the reminders of your decision available carry your organ donor card uh, permit the code 115 to be included on your driver's license or you can also get a digital organ donor card they're available uh, on any the app stores onto your smartphone form smartphone and organ donor cards can also be requested by visiting the Irish Kidney Association. Their website is www.ika.ie or you can free text the word donor to 50050. Bernie's taking your calls 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. Now, parental tolerance of underage teenage drunkenness has increased significantly in the past four years. That's according to the latest research by Planet Youth. Now, Planet Youth is a wellbeing strategy for young people in the west of Ireland. And joining me is Emmett Major. And Emmett is a coordinator with Planet Youth. Good morning to you, Emmett. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for taking time out to, to talk to us. Now, you surveyed post-junior cert students. So we're talking about 15, 16-year-olds. Is, is that the age group we're looking at? Yes, precisely. And the Planet Youth, it's a model that we've brought here from Iceland. Right, It's called the Icelandic Prevention Model. Um, we started in 2018. And the, the idea of this is that you, you gar- you're gathering huge amount of data or information on the lives of our young people at 15 and 16 years old. So when they return to school, having sat the junior cert, 
every two years in all the schools in Goa, Mayo, Roscommon, these teenagers sit the Planet Youth Survey, right? And it looks at all these different aspects of their lives, their life at home, their life in school, their life online, their hobbies, their sports, mental health, substance use, very, very detailed. And what you're trying to find out all the time is what are the risk and protective factors that are working well or working poorly? And what can we do to improve to improve the situation for the children that are coming behind them? So it's a preventative approach that was very, very successful in Iceland that we're trying to adapt for use here in Ireland. Excellent. Um, and this, and is one, your, this is your third survey. Precisely, yeah. So the first survey was done in October 2018 with around 5,000 young people. The second survey was done during the COVID time, right, with around the same 5,000 kind of number at December 2020. Again, these were 15 and 16 years old. So it was the 2002-2003 young people in the first survey, then 2004-2005 birth cohort in the second survey. And the most recent survey was just finished last November with another 5,000 teenagers at 15 and 16 who were born in 2006 and 2007. And now we can begin to see after these three surveys, what's going well, what's going poorly, what the trends are and what's changing and where we need to improve, if that makes sense. OK, so talk to me about the about the trends, particularly this one on drunkenness. Yes. OK, so that that's kind of an interesting one. And, and one of the big reasons why we're really doing the whole Planet Youth Undertaking is it's, it's a task force, a drug and alcohol task force led initiative, even though it's an interagency project. All the schools participate, the HSE, TUSLA, all the kind of statutory bodies in the west of Ireland all help with the project, if you like. But one of the main reasons that we do it is because in Iceland it was used to reduce, hugely reduce, going from they went from the highest substance use rates in teenagers in the world when they started to the lowest now, right? And they've kept them at the lowest for the last decade. So it really does seem to work. But but what we've noticed here in Ireland and our, our young people tend to drink a lot, right? And when they drink, they get drunk, right? So we do a lot of binge drinking here in Ireland. But, and the, the young people sort of mirror society at large to a degree. It's not, it's not always just pointing finger at young people. But what we noticed in the first surveys, 26% of these 15 and 16 year olds reported they've been drunk in the last month. In the second survey during COVID, it had increased, uh, sorry, decreased to 20% um, because there was no, you know, functions going on, no parties, no clubs, nothing, nothing was happening too much other than a few house parties and a bit of kind of drinking with friends in the fields kind of stuff. The most recent survey, however, shown us we're back up to 30% now. So three out of 10 reported drunk in the last months in the latest survey. And one thing we noticed then, which is a trend now for the first time, is that parental tolerance or what the what kids say about how would your how would your parents feel if you were to get drunk? That's reducing all the time. Right. So one of the questions are asked in the survey is how would your parents feel about you smoking, using cannabis, vaping or getting drunk? Right. And the other three. So broadly speaking, parental disapproval of smoking, vaping and cannabis is running way over 90, 90 to 95 percent. And it's been consistent through the three surveys where if we look at the parental tolerance for drunkenness, it's gone from 72% to 62% to 56% over the three surveys. And wherever we see this increased parental tolerance for drunkenness, the kids are drinking more. So if you look by area, by area, by area, wherever it's highest, the kids drink more. Interestingly enough as well, there's sort of a male-female split. Um, So actually our girls are getting more drunk more often than the boys. So it's, it's that 30% is split 27% towards the boys and 33% towards the girls. And the girls are more likely to be getting alcohol from their parents. 
at home as well. Um, and is that on the increase, the parents actually supplying the alcohol? It, again, it varies from place to place, Patricia. It, it, but it's not, it's not, that's been sort of consistent. It's running at around 20%. So we have about one in five parents that are giving alcohol to their children. Um, and one about, it had increased a little bit in the latest survey of parents that are giving alcohol to other kids, right, which is a concern as well. So so one of the big things that we'd be trying to do as part of the, we do a lot of parental messaging and we give a lot of information out to incoming first year parents and incoming junior infant parents around a whole variety of wellbeing topics based, you know, based off the project. But it is something that we'd be looking at much, much more closely now because it's a well, well understood protective factor internationally, this idea of parental attitudes to alcohol and to other drugs. But in Ireland, in the Irish context, it seems to hold up even more strongly. That to say, there's a huge relationship between parental tolerance for for alcohol use and alcohol use. The kids who are getting alcohol from the parents are three times more likely to be getting drunk than the kids who aren't getting alcohol from the parents. Yeah. And, is, and the is, kids... it, is it all to do with our attitude to alcohol in this country, Emmett? It, it almost is like, oh, sure, they're 16. Sure, what will a few cans of beer do? What will a few glasses of wine do? That's, that's exactly what it is. And to a degree, it would be, you know, other, aren't they a bit safer? They might have a few drinks at home. And this sort of idea, particularly around the girls, I think, right? They're sure we can keep an eye on them. They're not doing this, that or the other. Um, however, this might have been okay a couple of decades ago all of the research that's been done, all this big longitudinal life course studies is great information come out of Australia in the Lancet recently. All, we know all we, all we do as parents by giving these kids alcohol is increase risk over time. So it tends to be the kids who start drinking young and drink regularly young that we will see having dependency issues around these topics later in life. We'll see them in treatment centres. Okay, They're far, and, far more yeah, likely and to the, Yeah, and as so you the, say, the evidence is there when you're conducting surveys like this. What about cigarette use? Are they are the young people still smoking? No, yeah, there's good news there, Patricia. So we're down. We've been consistently down over the three surveys for cigarette smoking. We're actually down quite a bit in the latest survey for cannabis use, which is encouraging. Um, however, the vaping sort of fill the vacuum, if you like. So the actual vaping rates are daily vaping. So we ask about, you know, have they, have they ever tried vapes in their lifetime? Have they tried them in the last year? Have they had them in the last month? Then we can look into the daily vaping as well. And we've gone from 5% roughly, let's say just roughly 5% of uh, our young people at 15, 16 vaping every day in the previous study, right, in two years back, and the, the most recent one, has gone up to nearly fifteen percent. So it's just it's roughly trebled in the last. And you can uh, two you years. can see that I have to pass uh, a couple of schools on on my way home uh, from work, and you can see the yeah. amount of young people in the last even just the last couple of years, the amount of young people uh, vaping. And and I suppose the worry there is Emmett. I mean, I started vaping to get me off cigarettes, and I very successfully. Mm thankfully, came off cigarettes uh, because of vaping. But I'm assuming a lot of these young people are not smoking. They're going straight to vaping. The danger is that that could straight, lead straight them to, to cigarettes. Yeah. It could go the other yeah. way. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. And that is really one of the several concerns around the topic of vaping is that, well, we know that they're marketed to young people with, you know, these different flavours and strawberries and bananas and different bubblegum flavour vapes of craziness like that, right? But yeah, so kids who may never have picked up a cigarette will pick up a vape. Um, and the nicotine's still in there, right, which we know isn't great for developing brains and is highly addictive, right? So there are concerns around, actually, you know what, our kids shouldn't be vaping. And those vaping products were only ever supposed to be kind of for smoking cessation rather than 
starting using these kind of products. Um, and the other thing is, okay, so uh, they practically all would have nicotine, okay? And nicotine, as we know, is addictive, but there are concerns now that you can use vapes to kind of aerosolize or, you know, these other products like THC products you can get and so on that, you know, kids can put other stuff that's a little bit more tricky into mm, into mm, the vape, yeah. vaping products. And, it's and, not just nicotine. And then, Emmett, we've seen, sadly, a number of reports showing young people needing help with their uh, mental health. I'm assuming that mm. trend continued in, in your service. Uh it's actually improved a tiny bit because remember I was saying about the COVID, right? So we did this study during COVID. So mental health, okay, the, the picture is needs work, right? Definitely, definitely our kids need more support in this area, right? So they took it roughly everything across the board was roughly 15 or 20% worse during COVID. So we went from not being great to being, you know, things not, you know, really impacted by COVID have recovered a little bit. So so the amount of our kids who would, who would be reporting poor or, you know, bad or very poor mental health and stress and resilience issues and all this kind of stuff, it's, it's, it's bounced back a tiny bit since COVID, but it certainly hasn't recovered to 2018 levels, which weren't great to start with. So no, lots of work to be done there. Um, a huge issue, by the way, which has come out of the latest survey data, right, is, you know, one of the biggest, biggest, biggest problems are preventable health issues our teens are facing is lack of sleep. Lack of sleep is huge. It's a huge issue. Uh, only 44% of the kids are sleeping the right amount. Um, and 56% are quite sleep deprived. And actually 25% of them are highly sleep deprived. And 83% of them have phones in their bedrooms at ah, night. That's so, incredible, isn't it? I mean, teenagers by their nature sleep their brains away. Or is that what we're led to believe? And that's what we all did as as teenagers. So it's it's the mobile phone usage. Partly, yeah. I mean... 83% of the teens having phones in their bedrooms at night is really part of the problem, right? Kids, you know, no, no, broadly speaking, teens tend to be night animals anyway. They don't like going to bed early and so on and so forth. But, you know, it's something that we need to give a lot more focus and attention to because the, the relationship between sleep and mental health, sleep and self-esteem, self-image, sleep and resilience, sleep and school engagement, everything is hugely tied into it. And the kids who are sleeping, the 44% of kids who are sleeping better or, you know, correctly, let's say eight hours or more a night are doing better in every single measurable, conceivable way in the data compared to the 56 percent who are not sleeping well. Uh, this, it's like chalk and cheese. I could show you I could show you the charts that demonstrate it, but, yeah. you know, it would knock your thoughts off. So one of the things we're trying to, to address and we do a lot, of, as I say, there's a lot of parenting information goes out here. But one of the things is really around when you're when these kids are getting their phones, right, which quite often now like you would say confirmation, but it seems to be earlier and earlier that they're getting them, unfortunately, is that they have to come with the rules that they're handed up. They're handed up in the evening to be charged. And we say like eight o'clock in first year, 8.30 in second year. You can talk about it after that. But the general rule being was when they get the phone, at the time they're getting the phones, the easiest time to do it, the rule will always be the phone is handed up while they're in secondary school and we'll charge it in the kitchen or we'll charge it in the hall, but it won't be in your bedroom at night. And you can have a little plastic alarm clock for yourself. You don't yeah. need it for waking yeah. up. And set, um, set down the rules when, when they're getting the phone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the easiest time because it, it's it's very hard to say that to a 16-year-old who's had the phone yeah. in the room since they were 11, do you know? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, they have a fight in your hands then for sure. And you'll have a fight anyway with this as the kids are getting older, but it's a fight worth fighting. It's unquestionably a fight worth fighting because, you know, the, the impact on mental health that we're seeing due to this lack of sleep is... It's really, it's really significant. It's, yeah. it's Listen, it's a really, yeah. it's a really interesting study that you're doing. We'll keep a close eye on you and we'll talk to you again, no doubt, in two years when the latest uh, survey comes out. But listen, I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today, Emmett. 
You're welcome. And if anybody wants to have a look, it's it's on the planetyouth.ie website. You'll find the latest reports are all up there and the parenting information as well. Thanks for that, Emmet. Uh, Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Emmet Major Coordinator with Planet Youth. Uh, if you want to take a look, planetyouth.ie. And my thanks to Emmet uh, for taking time out. Somebody says, Patricia, uh, says, Martin, Ireland is always, we've always been a nation of drinkers and it always will be. It's not just young people, it's older people too. Alcohol has been and will be the ruination of this country. We should have tougher laws to combat uh, our alcohol problem. But alcohol brings in a lot of money to a lot of people and also a lot of money in excise duty goes to the government. So the drinking problem in Ireland will never change, says Martin. And then a mother says, uh, Patricia, if you go into any pub on a Saturday night in our local town, you'll see all the transition year students who are 16. And that's the age group Emmett is talking about. And they're all drinking in the pubs. They've no bother at all getting served so it isn't parents giving them the drink however as a parent if you try to stop your 16 year old from going out then they become isolated from their friendship group it is huge pressure to keep up they lose their friendship group very quickly and then they lose their place in society I prefer to see what they are drinking rather than them buying it on the black market it simply isn't clear cut friends and their mental health are huge areas of concerns for uh, parents uh, so right well, well said that's to 08 6210303. And when I was speaking in the last hour uh, with uh, Emmett Major, who was talking about the work with the young people that they're doing in the west of Ireland, and we, he was saying that you know strict guidelines should be put in place when you're introducing a smartphone and giving a smartphone to a child, and he was saying, come bedtime, phone is taken away from them, and do not have the phones in the bedroom because their survey clearly showing that young people are getting a very bad night's sleep and it's been put down to the fact that they've got their phones with them in the room. Uh, a parent has come in and said, OK, take the phone off them and they'll say, oh, sorry, I've got to use the iPad. Can't take the iPad off them because they say they needed to do their homework. It's not as clear cut as that youth worker was uh, saying. Thank you for that. That's my text to 0862103103. Now we have a cautionary tale for dog owners with Mill Street native and filmmaker Stephen O'Reardon joining me this morning to outline something to ha- that happened to him and his dog Molly earlier this uh, week. Uh, good morning to you, Stephen. Hello. Hello, Stephen, can you hear me? I can hear you, uh, yeah. yeah. good morning. You're, you're welcome uh, to the programme. Now, firstly, you're, this happened to you near your home in Dublin, was it? Um, a Hungarian Vistula last week and for the past week, I suppose, we've been trying to train her to walk slowly and to visit the traffic lights and to be aware of her surroundings because obviously the area that we're in is quite busy over in Dublin. It's around the Drumcondra area. And um, anyway, yesterday I took her to her morning walk and she was doing really well and I was so proud of her. I was a kid. Um So anyway, sorry. Um I know, I know. Take your time because I do know why you're crying. It's your much loved dog. And anybody listening to you today will be able to identify with what you're going through and the shock that that you got. So you're out walking, Molly, and somebody stops you. Or somebody approaches you. Yeah, I was at the traffic lights and she had sat and I was obviously really proud of her. So I was getting my treat to reward her because that's how we reward her she's doing well and somebody just came out of nowhere on my I don't know why on my right hand side and basically they started going oh I need help I need help directions directions and I was like sorry what what 
and the person was kind of showing me their phone, but I couldn't see their phone. And obviously, Molly was on my left hand side, and I also assumed that she was, of course, sitting and that she was waiting for the traffic lights you know, to turn, and I would tell her to go. But the guy was going further from me, so I was leaning over. So obviously, I must have moved my left hand from the bottom of her collar lead to lean over to see what this person was showing me because I didn't know what they were asking me. And within that, like I'd say within 10, 20 seconds, another person had just come uh, behind me on my left hand side and obviously removed the collar from Molly and she obviously didn't escape and I obviously didn't know what was happening and a woman just jumped out of her car and was like, they're trying to rob the dog and obviously she tried to stop the traffic because the dog went out onto the main road. Obviously it's a busy intersection, like it's there's traffic going four ways basically. And she obviously must have got a fright, so I just ran after her to try and catch her. But um anyway, she got so scared she just went down a slip lane so I was able to run down there and just obviously get her and just try to calm her down. But um obviously yeah, I'm, I thought it'd be and, fine this morning. Yeah, anyway, no, no, you're okay. And and it's so so, so one was distracting you. The other yeah. then was 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 slipping off the lead. You reckon for the purpose of of stealing Molly? That's what they were trying to do. This was dog napping. Yes, he was because um, only that I had quickly turned when that lady was shouting. I didn't realise that somebody obviously was trying to get the dog. So it was only when that happened I saw Molly going that I was like, geez, that's my dog that she's roaring about like and this has all happened. But sure, they had disappeared by the time... Yeah, they were you know, gone. Retru- they yeah, were gone. I mean, it happened so fast and like, I don't want to say like being stupid but I honestly believed that this person was trying to get directions or help for whatever it is that they needed and because they were confusing me in the moment and getting all my attention, obviously my left hand just went from the bottom of the collar where I would, would hold her on the lead to to allow her, we'll say, to be free then, which allowed that person to come behind and basically slip the collar off. And I, I assume either, like I said to my husband after, either they were going to try and grab her, which I couldn't understand how they would because she's a big dog. She's a, yeah, so. I've seen a photo. She's a beautiful... What, what type of dog did she say she is? It's a Hungarian Vistla, so they're, they're hunting dogs. And... Um, they're a bit like Velcro, like they stick to you. So obviously they love human contact and they love being with humans and they love, you know, I suppose yeah. all the attention that they get. And I think within the moment of her realising that the collar was gone and somebody must have obviously tried to get her, that she just she panicked. for it. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she panicked. And the one thing that struck me when I saw your, your media post, if that was a smaller dog, like a little West Highland or a little Bichon Frise, Somebody could have grabbed her and just ran. It's just so weird. Like, I was was saying, like, I don't go out of the house thinking someone's going to attack a dog. Do you know what I mean? Or try to grab a dog or whatever. And obviously you hear all these things that happen to people when they're out and about or they're in isolated places. But this was in broad daylight in a very busy intersection in Dublin with traffic flowing from four directions. So there was a lot of traffic and really just because that woman saw it happening and jumped out of the car and obviously was shouting at everyone like to stop driving, basically, because obviously the lights would have changed, the cars would have just taken off. Um, 
I would imagine Molly would have been hit like. Oh I mean, God! Don't no even doubt. don't even think about no, that. Yeah, I, I know that would be and in in front of your eyes as well. It would have been horrific. And obviously, that woman noted the interaction. I'd exactly. say she was to me. She looked and said, "God's beautiful looking dog." Would have realised you're trying to help this other person, and then would have saw seen the other person slip in exactly and slip off the lead. So well done to that to that woman. And obviously, did did you make contact with her, or did she disappear into the traffic it, then? No, because everyone was beeping their horns and everything with the drama that was unfolding so by the time I'd gotten Molly and gone back obviously she was everyone gone. had gone do you know what I mean but have you reported it to the Gardaí? No not yet but I, I mean I will but I think um, like I was saying to my sister obviously Joanne that um, like obviously if the dog was injured or if I was injured I would feel more compelled to do it but then her point is that if these are people that are opportunists that they could do it to somebody else and if somebody had you know if the, a person was blind and assistive dog like that, they could just take the dog. It's just a terrible thing. So I don't know what you're crying about. I, I do. You love it. How long have you got Molly? A week. So God help oh. us. <laughs> if I told you this time next year, uh, Stephen, and you have her a year, she'd yeah. be, she's, and she's beautiful. And what age is she? So she's two. So two. a family had got her in lockdown. And obviously I don't think the family wanted the dog anymore and they returned the dog to the kennels and Joanne actually has a Hungarian Vistula so I was saying that it wouldn't be lovely when we were going down to Mill Street that this dog could be a friend to Joanne's dog and that yeah. they have something to play with so that's where this notion came in and my husband Mark was totally against having a dog so I didn't talk to him for three hours and then we got <laughs> the dog <laughs> so now the dog is part of the family like, do you know what I mean but I just couldn't believe how emotionally attached I in, was. In such a short to, space of time. Yeah. yeah. And like I was saying to my mother, like, I actually had to go into the sitting room and cry about it because I didn't have the dog to see me in distress. I know, because I, I do, know. You know. Is it, and is it going to now make you very cautious when you're out and about with well, Molly? I, yeah, I did go a different direction this morning, I have to admit. Um, I, I would be a bit nervous about going back in the same direction because I was thinking in my head, because we were doing the same directions every day for the last week and I was like, Jesus, where they look at me because I'm going the same times because I'm working from home and obviously the breaks that I have are the time that I would spend with the dog, of course. Yeah. So that's when I was out and about and I was like, God, were these people actually like watching me? Like, and they nah, really... I'd, I'd say more opportunistic. I'd say just spotted yeah. it. Good, gorgeous looking dog decided yeah. the scuts that they were will we'll, we'll have a go at trying to grab that. But it is certainly a cautionary tale for anybody else to just be really really careful but I can see uh, lots of people saying um, shocking to hear what happened uh, to poor Stephen tell him to go to the guards it has to be uh, reported yeah no, you really, do because yeah if it's connected in any way in, in terms of maybe potentially somebody else happening I mean it probably is the right thing to do but I honestly thought it was over Patricia in the sense of the shock but uh, not not really like, no, but, uh, no. she's Miss- safe I should say she's safe and she's lovely and what I will say is that uh, my phone told me that I was down 32% of my average time of being on my phone <laughs> last week. And I've gone from doing 200 steps a day, you can work out at my bedroom and the office upstairs are quite close where I work, yeah. um, to doing 10,000 to 15,000 steps a day. So um, <laughs> Listen, there is a positive. <laughs> yeah, there is indeed. Listen, it's great uh, talking to you. Mind yourself and Thank pass you, on yeah. our best Thank wishes you. to uh, your wonderful sister, Joanne. Thanks, right. Stephen. Mind bye. yourself. Bye. Bye. bye bye, bye bye. Poor old uh, Stephen O'Reardon there, um, a native of Mill Street, but now living in Dublin. It's just, oh, I mean, anyone who loves, who has a much loved dog will know 
to have a dog stolen or an attempt to steal a dog like that. But just the very fact of the dog then running out in front of all of the traffic, he literally she could have been killed in, in front of his eyes, which would have been a much worse uh, story. Somebody said the very same thing happened in Skibbereen. Somebody was trying to steal a person's dog right outside their house. The thief had the owner's dog up on his lap walking off and the owner shouted, hold on a minute, that's my dog. It's shocking. Some people are trying to steal dogs and then we've got other people who are neglecting theirs. Uh, it truly is horrific. Just be careful, as I say. Stephen's case did happen in Dublin, but you know what often happens in Dublin then can end up happening anywhere around the country. So be careful, folks. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. And thank you to Ray who sent me in a text that made me smile. Say morning, Patricia. Yesterday on the programme, you were having a chat about Patrick Keelty taking over as the new presenter of The Late Late. And a number of people were questioning, and indeed, so was I, how did they work out the salaries that these people get? Because we know if you take over the job at The Late Late Show, it comes with quite a hefty salary. Well, says Ray, I'm a man in the know. They use a complex method. It is called LFCC. LFCC stands for Licence Fee Cash Calculator and it's done like this. You pluck a large figure out of nowhere. Then you multiply that by another big number. You take this total and you subtract absolutely nothing and then you toss in another lump sum just for good measure and that becomes the salary. Glad I've been able to help you out. Signed, Ray. C103 Jobs. Now, a cashier is wanted for full or part-time position. It is in a Mallow Bookmakers. Applicants must be over 18 and you do need to be computer literate. The email address is bbookmakers at gmail.com. Machine operators are wanted for duct laying works. It's in the Cork area and also operatives with lugs training required. Call 021 602 Ward personnel, they've got jobs for all types of machine drivers. 021-233-9120. And general operatives are wanted for power washing, painting. It's all in the new market area. You need to be over 25. Clean driver's licence as a company vehicle is to be provided from new market. 87 Now you'll find all the details and many, many more job opportunities by simply going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Now, unfortunately, parents desperate to kit out their children for First Holy Communion Day are in some cases turning to loan sharks for money to buy expensive dresses and suits. That's according to independent Cork City Councillor Ken O'Flynn, who jo- joins me to discuss this in more detail. Good morning to you, Ken. Good morning, Patricia. And, How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Ken, has this always been a problem, families overspending on these uh, days? Uh, or is it acutely worse this year due to the cost of living crisis? Well, well look, I, I suppose over the last number of years, your show and other shows have covered it and, and national press and local press has covered the growing expense of when it comes to uh, communion costs. Uh, I think there was a, a survey done in 2019 where the average communion was costing about a thousand euros. I think about 980 euros was uh, the Ulster Bank survey. 
look, my experience now is that communions are costing 2,000 to three to three and a half thousand. I certainly have met a number of constituents, more than one that have spent over 3,000 on communions. That includes dresses, bouncing castles, um, big events, um, kidding out with the mother and father, their brother, siblings, all that sort of stuff. But look, we all know as well as I do, Patricia, going out for a meal for two is an expensive um it's an expensive trip today. Um, if we were to go tonight, you know, um, imagine trying to bring out mother-in-laws, father-in-laws, brothers, sisters, aunties, uncles, all this sort of stuff. And that's putting huge strain on families as well. I suppose really what I'm saying is that you have a situation here where this is a blessed sacrament. This is something that should be celebrated by the church. And what I'm looking for is both the church and schools to sit down together to come up with a, a better way of doing things. I think it's about time that we seriously looked at communions going like confirmations, where they would introduce the uniform rather than the large dress that's costing anything between 300 to 1,000, 1,000 plus. Um, that we'd, we'd, we'd eradicate that. We'd use the mantilla, kind of the white robes that are used. And instead of putting the pressure on families to compete with each other, um, whether it's whether it's going out for this dinner or having caterers into the house or running large events or having live bands and DJs and all this sort of stuff that we're hearing about, um, it may be far better suited to use the community halls or the school halls and have a big celebration for all the children. Uh, yeah, but, but I mean, is some of this families keeping up with the Joneses or is it a case of the families don't want their child to not have what every other child is having? But isn't, isn't that part of it? We all remember our first Holy Communion Day and a lot of that was to do with what we were wearing and what happened on the day. Uh, families will rebel if you try to take that tradition away from them. Well, I, I think I think it's about bringing in a new tradition, uh, an affordable tradition. And I think, you know, I, I was telling somebody there recently that I the one memory I have about um, my communion was meeting up with a, a group of my friends um, uh, who also made their communion on the day. And I think three of us went home with the knees out of our new trousers. Uh, <laughs> you know. That went down well at home. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I don't know how I got away with it. I suppose because, we, because it was my communion, I didn't get the smack. <laughs> but uh, look, the reality is that, you know, like what, what stands out for me is the memory of being with friends and enjoying myself and having a great day. Um, and going to the local shop and, and buying sweets and all that sort of stuff, you know, and the excitement of that and the excitement of visiting relatives. I, I think there is an option for that, but I also think that there's something that both the schools and the church could do to reduce the pressure and costs on everybody, making everybody equal and bringing it back to the sacrament and the importance of, of, of the day, that, uh, which it is. Yeah, 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 and, and I mean, I I know um, Penny Dinners, the wonderful Katrina Toomey. They dressed many families this year, but the flip of that is, for some, it's hard to ask for help, and they they will go the other route of going into debt. But 
you know, you know, the thing about it is, is that, you know, I meet so many couples that are working, that are doing all the right things, that are making money, that are paying mortgages, paying car loans. But, you know, the reality is they're probably only about three or four paychecks away from poverty. You know, if somebody loses their job or if somebody gets sick, they don't have a backup plan. There's no big nest egg. That's what a lot of people my age in their early 40s and, and in their 30s um, are facing. My contemporaries, my friends, my neighbours, I, I, I see it. And the big pressure of adding a €3,000 bill onto your current bills, as we see from our ESB and our gas bills and our, our, our shopping bills, how expensive everything is now at this stage, um, is, is a bit ridiculous. And there has, we have to call a halt to it. We have to, and we have to start controlling it. And we have to start making and, it easier for people. Yeah, and, and, and I take it one of the real concerns you would have is somebody getting into the grip of uh, a money lender, especially if it's an illegal money lender. It can be very difficult to, to get, get away, away from, from that. Is, isn't that the case? Look, look Patricia, I, I'll be honest with you, I have people that have they have their loans with their banks, they have their credit card debt, um, they have the, the, some people have taken the loans from these companies who are just one step behind um, money lenders, these big UK companies that come in looking for 50-60% interest. Look, the reality is that money lending has not gone away. It is happening. It is happening to people, not just people that are living um, below the breadline anymore. It's not just the people that are that you would expect that are going, are on, on, on unemployment benefit or finding it very difficult or have various problems in their life, whether it's financial problems or looking after their finances or with some sort of illness or, or some sort of gambling problem. It's ordinary people that are working day to day. It's people that just don't have access to credit or finding it more difficult to get access to credit, and they're using the loan sharks. I'm talking about people living in private houses. Yeah, yeah, two I, cars well, the yeah well, I can see um, a text in from Melissa who's saying, well done to uh, Ken O'Flynn for raising this issue. It has gone ridiculous. I don't have children yet for communion age, but it's going to come up in a few years' time. I live in a large housing estate in the suburbs of Cork City, and you wouldn't believe the amount of money that has been spent over yeah. the last two Saturdays with communions going on. And it definitely is one family trying to outdo the other family. Well, look, there is a case of that, but there's also, you know, you know as well as I do, if you have a child, you want to give it everything that the other child next door has. Yeah. You know, you don't want that child to feel left out. And I accept that as well. And I understand that as well. But there has to be a call to halt to it. And I think the bishop, I think he's a very progressive bishop as well, by the way, uh, I think he, he, he's in a good position at this stage to start talking and inter-dialogue with the, with the local schools here in Cork and come up with a plan. And I think there, you know, I think we could lessen the expense and bring bring the ceremony back. Still keep it as special as it is, so it is the most memorable day. Um, we only have a few memorable days in our life. Um, but, but there is there is also the there is also the other argument, Ken, that we actually touched on on the program last week, and that's the amount of families who are letting their children go through the first Holy Communion and confirmation ceremonies, and they're not practicing Catholics. Well, look. It's up to you whether you want your child to go and receive the sacrament. It's up to you if you want to bring your child into the Catholic Church. And look, I accept. But isn't it a bit hypocritical? I'm accepting what you're saying that not everybody goes to mass every every Sunday, Um, but that's their choice, and you still you still should be allowed their choice that choice just because it's not a popular choice anymore. You should still be allowed to have that choice. 
Yeah, I was at a First Holy Communion a few years ago up the country and the priest actually said from the altar rails, I expect that I won't see any of you back in the church until your confirmation in however five years at time. And there was very uncomfortable faces inside, inside in the church. And then last week I spoke with a group called the Irish Ethical Celebrants Society and they do what they call milestone secular ceremonies. And obviously you can cut down on the price of everything. And if little girls want to wear white dresses and boys want to wear suits at these milestone events, they can do it. Maybe parents need to look at that. Well, yes. And no, having said that, I know people as well who have pulled their children out of communion that don't, that don't practice it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Yeah. And have said and have said it's not for me, it's not for my child, and they're not participating. And they're going to a Catholic school or they're attending a school where, which is running communions. And look, that's their option as well. Yeah, but as many parents, when we were talking about the Irish Ethical Celebrants Society last week, many parents say they don't have a lot of choice. They have to send their child to a Catholic school because it's the only school in their area. They mightn't be practising Catholics and they don't want their child to miss out on the day. You know, so there is that. And there's that, but there's those that have made, who have stood up, as you said, that yeah. have made the decision that they don't want their child to go through that. And yeah. that's fine too. But yeah. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of Catholics out there as well, which is, I think, we, we, have, we have a tendency in the media not so much broadcasting, but certainly in the print media, there's a tendency to play down the church or the importance of the church or tell everybody that there's nobody attending the church. The churches are still being quite well attended. I know because I go to church. Yeah, but we have the the bishop coming out looking for people who've come into this country. He's trying to rejuvenate the, the numbers in, in the church. There are still, absolutely, there's still pe- people going uh, to Mass and are practising Catholics, but they're nothing like the numbers they were, say, 20, 30 years no, ago. No, but there, there's other Christian churches out there as well that are very, very proactive. Um, and you can see that, you can see that as well. And look, that's that to each their own. It's up to a person whether they want to practice or not. It's up to you to believe, thank God. Isn't it, isn't it up to you to believe what you want to believe? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, everyone, that's everyone's faith. Actually, yeah. Pat from Fremont makes an interesting point. The live streaming of Mass that happened during the, the pandemic has stopped a lot of people from attending Mass and uh, funerals. Many people are opting to watch Mass at home. Yeah, yeah and that's yeah, that's a good point as well. All right, listen, Ken, interesting topic. Thank you for that. God bless and talk And to uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. That is Cork City Independent. 
Independent uh, Councillor Ken O'Flynn saying something has to be done about people getting into debt to cover the sacraments like First Holy Communion and Confirmation. He's suggesting it's up to the schools and the church to play a role in this. Your thoughts welcomed 0818 103 103. Lines are open. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103, 103. Cork today on C103. With the sun expected to shine down this coming weekend, according to Met Aaron, all roads are definitely going to lead to the race course in Mallow for this year's Mallow Home and Garden Festival. To preview this year's event, I'm joined by one of the gardening experts, and that's uh, Porik Horkin. Uh, good morning to you, Porik. Good morning to you, Patricia. And you're dead right. The weather is going to be fantastic for the three days of the festival. Yeah, and it's literally because the, the weather is getting better day by day and it's peaking over the weekend, so it couldn't come at a better time. Now, of course, anyone who's been to Mallow Home and Garden Festival in the past will know they've got these 25 permanent uh, gardens. Mm. Is, is that, do you think, what makes this festival so unique? Well, I think there's so many different combinations to the three-day event, but the 25 show gardens are inspirational, really. If you want some ideas for your own garden, whether it's a new build or you just want to do up a new area of your garden, then the 25 gardens are all different. So you'll pick up little hints and ideas from all the various different gardens. And of course, they're being replanted at this time of year, Patricia, as well, with all the instant colour that's in flower now, but that's going to flower right through till the autumn of this year. And of course, Dulux have actually come on board this year to add some outdoor colour paint. So not only have you got the flower colour, you've got all the outdoor paints that can be used on sheds, on walls, on garden furniture, on showcase as well. So that's going to be really fantastic. Cora Collins from Dulux is getting involved this year and the gardens are going to be spectacular. But Along with the gardens, you've got, it's hard to believe there are going to be 5 million plants on sale (laughs) over the three days. And of course, you've got the gardening expert. I'll be there every every day at 12 o'clock, giving inspiration about adding a splash of colour to your garden for this year. And Peter Dowdle is there on the three days as well. And Peter's going to be talking about greening your gardens, but from a biodiversity and an environmentalist perspective as well. And there's lots of seminars right through the three days of the event. It's interesting when you say about the five million plants. It's my advice yeah. that I always give to people who are going, particularly people who maybe their first time going to the garden festival. I always say go with an empty boot of your car. Absolutely. There's free parking on site. Yes, go to an empty boot. Maybe bring a little box or a little trolley with you because there's so much colour and so much value at the show. And and most of the stalls, actually, I've been there going for many years. Most of the stalls sell out by Sunday evening. So get in early if you can. But there's some very unusual plants available, but also some of the common garden plants that were all all our favourites like the lupins and the delphiniums that are coming into flower at this time of year. But it's not just gardening, uh, Patricia. You've got things like pets, for example, particularly on Saturday and Sunday. Pets are going to feature um, very heavily. At 12 o'clock, for example, they've got the dog behaviour expert in the parade ring giving advice on, you know, how to train your dog and and just dealing with any kind of issues that people may have. There's also a a dog show on at three o'clock, a fun dog show, both on Saturday and Sunday. And of course, you've got the dog sports 
uh, event as well at two o'clock on Saturday and Sunday. This flower arranging happening on the Friday at three o'clock in the seminar room and lots of advice as well in terms of energy um, in terms of, you know, insulating your home, solar panels, um, Ashgrove Ash Renewables are giving advice on that in the seminar room. So there's free talks starting from 12 o'clock each day right through to the end of, this, of, of each day. Yeah, and what I love about it, I've, I've attended many of the lectures over the years, and there's lots of opportunities to ask questions as well. If you've there got any there are indeed. I mean... My talk, I'm going to be talking about instant colour. So if people are thinking about having a wedding or family occasion, they want to spruce up the garden to add colour now, but colour that's going to last right through to the end of the summer. I'm going to be giving hints and tips through a presentation and demo. But at the end, there's great opportunities to ask, you know, any gardening question, something that might be, even if you want to bring a piece of a plant along that you want identified or you're having a particular issue in the garden, there's great opportunities right throughout the day, not just at the seminars, Patricia, but also on the stands. I mean, there's some, there's over 200 exhibitors, all with their own professional advice. So I'm actually going to have a stand there as well, the veggie pod stand, telling people how to grow their five a day and their edibles. So it's a great opportunity right through the day to make use of the gardening experts and renewable experts on the actual exib- exhibits as well. And when you're to- when you're saying in your particular lecture that you're doing each day, you know, adding a splash of colour, will you take inspiration from the plants that are on sale so that if you suggest something, somebody will actually be able to go out and buy it? Absolutely. So my talk is going to cover, you know, those sort of plants that are going to give that splashy colour. I mean, Chelsea is on at the moment on our TVs. Bloom is just around the corner and the Mallow Festival. So there's a kaleidoscope of colour available at this time of year. So I'll be talking about some of the best plants. I'm also going to talk about plants that are going to come back year after year, Patricia. But I'll also take some of the plants from the various exhibitors and I'll bring them into the seminar and talk people through how to care for them and the best plants to look out for. So with 5 million plants on sale, you're going to be spoiled for choice. And even for gardeners, I mean, I always buy a few plants myself over the festival. You know, I'm a keen gardener, but I'll always see something different and something unusual because you've got the Irish Specialist Nursery Association. There are a group of various Irish nurseries that come together. They tend to specialise in particular categories and particularly unusual plants. So they're going to be Uh, available right throughout the three days, but also your commoner gardener plants like your lupins and bedding plants and hanging baskets. The bulbs, the Dutch bulbs are going to be there. I bought some of those last year, peony roses, for example, and some lovely alliums that are in flower in my garden as we speak. So I bought them this time last year. I planted them as soon as I came home from the show and they're in full flower now. So there's lots of of great variety and choice there. And I think with the weather, it's, it's going to be a packed yeah, and, and, and when people are picking flowers or, or shrubs, uh, etc., be it at the Garden Festival or anywhere else, isn't it important to ask the right questions to make sure that what you are buying, uh, where you're planting it is the right place and it's right for your garden, it's the right fit for your garden? Absolutely. We never, I'm, I'm a horticulturist for over 40 years and I never get tired of answering people's questions. Even when I'm having a quiet pint in my (laughs) local uh, pub, people will come up and ask me questions and I'm never tired of giving information. And you'll find that with all the nursery people because these people have grown the plants themselves. So they're, they're there to give you advice on how to take care of it, where to position it, how to look after the plant and exactly, you know, come with your 
your questions. And if you want something that's going to flower for many years, you know, that the exhibitors will, will pick you out a selection of plants that will suit your garden. So make use of the at free advice, both at the, on the exhibitors, but also all the seminars are free as well, Patricia, right throughout the weekend. And we're there to answer your questions. Okay, so, well done. And there's never, a, there's never a silly question. Yeah. People often say to me, this might sound like a silly question, Porik. I always say there's no such thing as a silly question. You know, we all started somewhere and, you know, it's 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 events like the festival, the the Mallow Festival, that, you know, you're, you're going to be exposed to so many different experts People are expert in roses. People are expert in herbaceous cottage garden plants, wildflowers. Make use of that free advice. Okay, and our own resident gardener, who you've mentioned, uh, Peter Dowdle, he joins us every Wednesday and he will be joining us uh, tomorrow. And he's actually, uh, he's on his way back, if he's not back yet from, he was over at the Chelsea uh, Flower Show. And I saw uh, a piece he wrote in The Examiner where he was saying at the Chelsea Flower Show, uh, no artificial grass or plastic turf was allowed this year. What's, what's your view on artificial? grass well look at i think i think in 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 the right garden the right location if you've got a tiny little garden or we're seeing a lot of rooftop gardens you know where it's practical the artificial grass looks so authentic i mean i, I did a program with ireland am for probably 10 years and in the garden believe it or not there was a small circle of uh, artificial grass and to be honest, the camera or, or the visual eye, you wouldn't know the difference between it, to be quite honest, Patricia. So in the right location, it's it's suitable. But obviously, we prefer as gardeners, we prefer the natural yeah, grass. And of course, we we are in the time in, in May where we're encouraging our gardeners to not cut the grass, to to allow the flowers, the daisies and the clover to flower um, because it's we're in the key season for pollination. So we're in the no more May period where we're encouraging people to let their lawns grow a little bit taller over the next couple of weeks, allow the flowers to bloom and allow the bees into your garden. And I'll be on, on my talk, I'm going to feature quite heavily, and I know Peter is as well, on um, encouraging wildlife back into your garden. So what are the plants that you can plant to encourage the bees and the butterflies and the hoverflies back into your garden over the summer period? Okay, and of course, we had great news this morning. Uh, an Irish gardener, a gentleman from Kerry, yes. Billy Alexander, he he's won a gold medal. And it's for his fern display. And I must, I must find out more about this because I'm a huge fan of ferns. And they're such an easy plant to grow. Yeah. They love, they love cork, the curry up where I am in Mayo. I mean, we have ferns growing wild in the garden, wild in the woodland areas because we've got the perfect growing conditions for them. High rainfall, moist conditions, a very temperate climate. Ferns absolutely love this part of, of the country and right throughout Ireland, they do so well. And they're great for shade. If you've got a shaded garden, ferns, and they're actually no problem whatsoever they don't suffer from pests and diseases yeah, yeah you, the you easiest just tidy thing them. easiest thing to go just tidy them up every year and off they go again absolutely yeah they're great they go again they're, they're absolutely beautiful Porik I've loved our chat uh, looking forward to seeing you out at the Mallow Home and Garden Festival and enjoy it because it sounds like it's something you look forward to every year as well but thank you for taking I, time out to talk to us I absolutely love it thanks for that Porik bye bye thanks Patricia bye bye Porik Horgan uh, one of the gardening experts for the Mallow Home and Garden Festival with a reminder to you that we have our prize uh, this week where we've teamed up with Dulux Paint. You could be winning yourself a 500 euro voucher for Dulux Paint with a colour consultant to come to your house and pick up the pick out the colour scheme. This is Court Today. Court Today.
with Patricia Messenger on C103. And we have a Fitbit to give away on the programme today. Would you like to win a Fitbit? If so, I need you to call Bernie now, 0818 103 103. And the third caller to get through to Bernie will join me on air. I will give you 15 seconds to name five things in a particular subject. And by naming the five items, you'll win for yourself a Fitbit Inspire 3. And this is our competition where we've teamed up with the Irish Heart Foundation and they're trying to get all of us to stay as healthy as possible hence the reason that they're giving us Fitbits to give away but on Friday each of our daily winners will go forward to a draw and one of our listeners will get their Fitbit but they'll also get their prize upgraded to uh, a night away for two at the hotel at Kilkenny and the reason that they we've putting such a focus this week with the Irish Heart Foundation is they're trying to highlight the fact that two in three people over the age of 50 in Ireland uh, are suffering from high blood pressure and many people are suffering uh, with not even knowing not aware of what the blood what their blood pressure is so it's important that you get your blood pressure checked obviously every year at your GP or go into your pharmacy and you can see, you can find out more at irishheart.ie. Okay, let me go to our third caller, who is Marie Crowley of Ivy House in Bwing. Good afternoon, Marie. Hello. How are you you today? I'm fine. Are you Marie or Mari? Mary. Mary, my apologies, Mary. Uh, okay, let's get your name right. Okay, we have, would you like a, a Fitbit? Are you a fit person, Mary? I am, yeah. Are you? Okay. So a Fitbit would be nice to keep you, you could be able to check the, the steps you're doing, etc. And uh, it's a great way of tracking what kind of exercise you're doing. Okay, we have to play a very quick competition. And let me see, can I get it right? Because I completely messed it up yesterday. Okay, we've got five items that we want you to name in 15 seconds, okay? And the five items we want you to name, name five items that you would find, Mary, in the kitchen. Off you go. In the kitchen, a kettle, a toaster, a cooker, a cup, a saucer, knives, spoons. So you're gone seven, eight, you're fine, you're fine. You didn't need anything like the 15 seconds. I think you did it in five seconds. So are you actually in the kitchen at the moment? I am, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so were you looking around at the items you were? <laughs> I was. It cost me, me off hand. It was. I didn't. Well, you, you, got, you, you certainly didn't need the 15 seconds to name the five items. So well done. Uh, you've won yourself a Fitbit and make sure you're tuned in on Friday, Mary, because you could be winning that voucher to go to Hotel Kilkenny. All right. Congratulations to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Mary Crowley uh, out in Boeing, our winner for today. We'll do it all over again tomorrow. Your chance to win with the Irish Heart Foundation, reminding all of us to get our blood pressure checked annually at your GP or by popping into your pharmacy. We have a wonderful competition with the Mallow Home and Gardens uh, Festival. They have given us a 500 euro voucher for Dulux paint, but it's not just the paint on its own. Uh, a colour consultant will call out to your house to help you pick and help give you help and advice with your colour uh, scheme. So all of our questions this week are to do with 
colour. So today's question you must answer by text or WhatsApp. We leave it open for 10 minutes and then we will select a winner for today. A qualifier will, will go forward for the draw for the Dulux paint on Friday. If you mix blue and yellow together, what colour will you get? If you mix blue and yellow together, what colour will you get? Answers by text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and please include your name and address please, just in case you are the lucky winner and I can call out your name and where you are from. So get texting on that 0862 103 103 or you can WhatsApp as well. Blue and yellow will make what colour? Uh, all with the Mallow Garden Festival, one of Ireland's largest home and garden festivals, as we heard when we spoke with uh, Porrick earlier on the programme, there's over 200 exhibitors, there's incredible garden shows, there's all of the free lectures, the vintage car show, don't know if I mentioned that with Porrick, that's a big, big attraction every year, and go hungry, because there's Artisan Food Expo and over 5 million plants will be on sale, and the garden festival runs this weekend, Friday the 26th, Saturday the 27th, and Sunday the 28th of May at the Racecourse in Mallow. Get texting on that 0862 103 103 and while we're waiting to select our qualifier for today, let me take a look at some of your questions and comments coming in. When I was speaking with uh, Ken O'Flynn about the cost of First Holy Communion and he's just worried that he is hearing about and obviously dealing with some families who are just literally going into debt and spending more than they can actually afford in order that their child has the very same as every other child in the classroom and I think that's rather than keeping up with the Joneses I mean people keep up with the Joneses traditionally are people that have the money and if you know they want to splurge they can splurge away but it's just awful to hear of families who are struggling really really struggling and getting into debt and my fear would be if they go to illegal money lenders and they get under the grips of illegal money lenders and then of course that then led to me talk about how many people go through the motions the first holy communion and confirmation when nobody in the house really is a practicing catholic anymore they're just doing it because it's the school where their child attends and they don't want their child to be left out well somebody says Patricia fair play uh, bringing up the fact that there's no that a lot of the families don't attend mass mass attendance should be a factor in order to qualify for First Holy Communion and fair play to some of the priests who've been calling out this. And yeah, priests uh, have, you know, some were saying that maybe they should take it out of the schools uh, completely. And what you would do is if you wanted your child to make First Holy Communion or Confirmation that, you know, you'd have Sunday school or maybe something after school or on the weekends and that the parish would become more involved in getting the child ready. I don't know how how and if that would work uh, for families um, uh, but it's something certainly that has been suggested. Hi Trish, making your first Holy Communion back in the day meant more because it was done from from the spiritual point of uh, view and we continued to go to Mass for many, many years afterwards. Somebody else is calling out parents who don't bring their children to uh, church. They are taking the religion away from the children rather than child not having the religion. And listen to this one. Trish, I made my communion. It's 40 odd years ago. My mother hired my address and it had to go back the following Monday. So it meant that I missed out on the school photograph. I remember being so disappointed with that because obviously they went in the following week wearing their communion dresses and this little little one, the poor mum had to return the dress. Oh, that's heartbreaking. And isn't it funny, 40 odd years later, 
it's still a very vivid memory to you. I mean, I'm sure you had a lovely day and I'm sure you looked beautiful and your mother was doing her very best. Obviously couldn't afford to go out and splash on a dress. That was the best she could do to make sure you looked beautiful on the day. But then to miss out on the class photograph, that really is heartbreaking for sure. Hi Trish, many First Holy Communions back in the day meant more because it was done purely for the religious reason of it. Now, how many communicants are at Mass are not even at Mass a month later and then the parents won't darken the church door again until the next big show. Yeah, and in some cases that can be the confirmation between second class and sixth class. It has lost all its true meaning and it really should go back to basics. Hi Patricia, I know some people go over the top with First Holy Communion but keep it simple. I'm really looking forward to my only grandchild's Holy Communion and by the way she is she goes to Mass every single week she's our only grandchild oh that's going to be a really really special day and I'm not taking from when the boys make their communion that's a special day as well but there's something magical about all the little girls in their white dresses listen enjoy and obviously your family then if it's your son or your daughter's child going for a very simple event and you can you can have a very simple event and the child will remember it the very same as if you hired the big bouncy castle or you had the caterers in or you went out to a very posh hotel for a meal. It'll all be the very same at the end of the day. Everybody remembers their their First Holy Communion. 0818 103 103. And just by the way, we had a call in earlier from a lady. You know, she was ringing. Um, I don't know if she's a resident herself. I think she was doing it on behalf of the other residents. It's to do with Farris. Oh, she is a resident. Sorry. It's to do with Farris View in Mallow. There's a new row of sheltered housing at Forest View in Mallow and according to our listener this morning the council haven't cut the grass in front of the houses and they've asked several times for the grass to be cut. It hasn't been done. The grass has gone really high and before anybody says could the residents not do it themselves, it's sheltered housing. All of the residents are elderly or disabled people and two of them are actually in wheelchairs so it isn't a case that this is a group of residents who are being lazy saying would you not cut the grass for us? They need the grass to be cut. Now we've emailed Cork County Council and uh, we are waiting to hear back from them and hopefully we'll be able to get that uh, sorted out. And then on an issue that I mentioned earlier at the top of the programme this morning to do with the five boys who've been arrested for their involvement in that vicious, vicious assault on that 14-year-old boy in uh, Navan and the fact that I mentioned it, it is expected they'll avoid a criminal charge and instead will just be given a caution under the juvenile diversion programme. Not everybody is happy with that, including Martin who contacted us saying that they should go to some juvenile detention uh, centre. Somebody said, I agree 100% with Martin and the comment he made. They should serve time for what they did. If they don't, then surely they won't learn any lesson from it. And Elizabeth says, hi Patricia, regarding those five juveniles that attacked that poor 14-year-old boy in Navan. They should have been charged. And, uh, and as I was one of the ones, I couldn't even bear to watch the video, says Elizabeth. If they were wearing school uniforms, they were. Then they should be expelled immediately from the school. As we were always told when we were younger, if you wear your uniform and you're, you're outside of the school premises, you have to remember you are representing your school because you're clearly identifiable because you're wearing your school uniform. I think these young people, it sounds like they're going to get off too easy, too easy. And I believe they won't think twice about doing it again. It's appalling how you can do such a crime and then just get a slap on the wrist. What kind of a message is our justice system sending out to the youth of our, our country? Well, well, let's wait and see. It's what's widely expected is 
what's going to happen because it is the, the juvenile diversion programme. It is the specialised guardy who work with juveniles. They are the ones that interviewed them. They're the ones that arrested them and they were released uh, without charge. But I do know that the guardy are looking, investigating this incident as a hate crime. So it's, it's a matter of uh, wait and uh, see. But that's generally speaking, if it is a juvenile, if a juvenile commits a crime, it, it usually is they're giving they're, they will be given a caution under that juvenile diversion programme. And there is evidence that the juvenile diversion programme works, but others will say, does it really work when you see people repeat offending? 0818103103. And you can stop texting us, please, on our competition for the Mallow Homes and uh, Garden Festival. We'll be announcing the winner after this. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie And the best of luck to the Dohalo Choral Society there presenting their spring concert uh, tonight in the Holy Cross Church in Charleville. This is the concert we spoke about yesterday because they're going to be joined by the choirs from the Holy Family School and and from the CBS Primary School and then proceeds from tonight is going to be divided between the two schools. Tickets are €15. Now there will be some available at the door but you can get them in advance today from CBS School. Bingo is on in Shambhali Moor Community Centre. That's tonight at 8. They've got a jackpot of €1,650 and all are welcome. Cork and Kerry Community Healthcare are presenting a free event on positive mental health for older adults. It's going to be held in Bantry Library tomorrow morning at 11. Now, no booking is necessary. You can simply turn up. And AIB in Bantry are hosting an easy banking workshop. That's happening at five o'clock tomorrow afternoon. And it's to show how everyone banking can be quick, safe and easy on your mobile phone. No experience of online banking is required. And nine Ukrainian short comedy films will be shown in Skulmwira in Kanturk on Thursday night at 6. It's a great opportunity to get to see Ukrainian cinema. Admission is free but registration is uh, necessary and you can register at ARLUKOR ARLUKOR at gmail.com 0818103103 John Bernie sitting in for John Paul is taking your calls and our competition for the Mallow Garden Festival, our qualifier for today. The answer, the question we asked was blue and yellow makes up one colour. It, of course, makes up the colour green. And our qualifier today is Noreen O'Reardon of White Church in Middleton. Congratulations, Noreen O'Reardon, White Church in Middleton. A step closer to winning that €500 Euro voucher for Julix Paint with a colour consultant to come out to your home to help you pick your scheme. We'll look for another qualifier tomorrow. Court today on C103. And a couple of texts uh, coming in, still getting in uh, calls about the possibility of those boys who attacked that young 14-year-old in Navan. It's expected that they avoid a criminal charge and instead be given a caution under the juvenile diversion programme. That really isn't sitting well with so many of our listeners. Hold on a minute, says one person. Uh, The young 14-year-old boy has a life sentence after what that young boy, what the, the, the five did to 
that young uh, lad. Someone else says, hi, Patricia. Surely this awful and serious incident is just simply not suitable for the juvenile diversion programme. This was a deliberate attack on an innocent child by a group of other young people. Surely they need to face more serious consequences for their actions. I can understand the diversion programme being used if, say, for example, somebody broke a window, a young person was in shoplifting or something like that, but certainly not something as horrific as this, the poor victim and his uh, family. It'd be really interesting to to get a victim impact statement, wouldn't it, from the young boy? I know his teeth, four of his teeth were broken. And remember, he had concussion as well. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't just a little slap and he was knocked over. It was very, very uh, vicious. And then somebody else who obviously sees the plus side to the juvenile diversion programme remembers a number of years ago there was a juvenile liaison sergeant who used to bring in certain under 18 year old children on a guided tour of the local prison. It had the desired effect on many kids. Great job. Yeah, wouldn't be a bad idea might early on to see how just how horrific it would be to end up in uh, prison. And hi Trish on communion dresses. My mother made my sister's communion dress and in turn I wore it proudly. Uh, I am talking about 60 years ago now at this stage when my own daughter's turn came. I made her communion dress and it was perfect. What's wrong with the generation now uh, says Joan. Do many people make their own clothes anymore? I know there was a kind of a start back towards especially during Covid times when people were taking up hobbies like I certainly could see on social media there seemed to be a trend about people uh, taking up the crafts again, like making clothes. But there was, I mean, your mum's generation, Joan, that you're talking about, if you're talking uh, over 60 years ago, they were a generation where they were fantastic with their hands. They were very, very talented people and were well able to make uh, items. And talking of a certain generation, there's just the most fantastic photographs in all of the papers uh, today of a very sprightly lady by the name of Marion Hughes. And the reason she's making the papers today, she's officially Ireland's oldest person. And yesterday she turned 109. And and she's incredible, totally with it. I mean, she's just uh, amazing. And she certainly knows how to enjoy uh, life. And she certainly keeps her mind very active every day. She does a crossword puzzle every day. She loves to have a good game of Scrabble and she's a very keen bird watcher. Now, she's not into a lot of fuss around birthdays and all of uh, that, but she did take time out to celebrate her 109th birthday and why not? She was born in Belfast and then she spent part of her life in Kerry. She also lived here in Cork. Just don't know where in Cork she lived. And then uh, she's currently living and did spend time in Dublin uh, as well. And she is currently living at Maryfield Nursing Home in Chapel Lizard in Dublin. And that's where she celebrated her birthday uh, yesterday. And when she arrived into the lobby of the nursing home, sporting a very smart navy blazer, gorgeous pink pink scarf. She did all the usual great surprise that everybody was there, all the residents were there there was a relative waiting with balloons and a birthday cake and she played along as if like oh god I'm surprised it's my birthday goodness me you're all making a fuss out of me she was then presented with medals for every year she has lived since she's reached her 100th birthday because that's what's happened you get the check when you reach 100 but every year thereafter you get a medal from the uh, president so she has you get, I think you probably get a medal for the 100 as well so it would have been her 8th uh, medal and then she read out a quote to the room that accompanied her latest medal and the quote says you've lived through remarkable times in the history of Ireland and the world you've witnessed remarkable changes unimaginable at the time of your birth in 1914 and she said 
Shinawil. And then her favourite song, O Roche the Vahawalia, was played. She sang along to it enthusiastically. And then along with some of her friends, they boarded the vintage tea bus that was waiting outside and they all broke into a live, a live O. And then she was asked her advice on living along and a full life. And she said, not wasting time is important. She said she does enjoy her birthdays. She said it is nice to get cards and that sort of thing, but she's not really into the big fuss. But she said it is nice that people remember that it was her birthday. When asked if life gets better as you get older, she said you learn a certain amount and you do advance that way. And she said then you start to learn to cope with situations. And she described herself as being very cosmopolitan, having been born in Belfast. Then her dad was transferred to Dublin and they were in Dublin for a couple of years. Then the dad got transferred to Killarney. He retired while they were in Killarney and they stayed there for a while. Then when she got married, she moved to Cork. But she and then she's been and, and she has since moved to uh, Maryfield, the nursing home where she said she's on the next step of her incredible uh, journey. She was asked for advice on a happy life. She said it's all down to attitude. And I saw in one of the papers, the director of nursing at the nursing home where she is living uh, described Marion as a very, very smart woman who loves doing her puzzles every day. She said she's a super lady. She really is inspirational to everyone and she's actually lived on the grounds of Maryfield now for over 30 years. She loves history. She's a part of history. She's very wishy and she's very smart and she just looks amazing for 109. So belated birthday greetings to Marion Hughes who did spend a chunk of her life with us here in Cork. 0818 103 103. Lines open. And there was a text came in earlier that I want to give a mention to. It's a concert. Where is it? There it is. It's a concert with the Sheep's Head Women's Chorus and Guest Performer. It's going to take place in Ahakishta Church on this coming Saturday night, 27th of May, 8 o'clock. Tickets are €15 Euro each and they are available from Helen Burke at 087-7828486 or by contacting any member of the choir and all proceeds are going to benefit Cancer Connect. Uh, Helen Burke sent in that message. Good luck with that. And actually, I'm looking forward to uh, meeting up with some of the people from uh, Cancer Connect because I'm, I'm taking part in the Mayor's Dinner in Bantry on Saturday night and I'm looking forward to that and I know Cancer Connect are one of the beneficiaries of uh, that night so good luck to everybody in Cancer Connect and good luck with that uh, concert 0818 103 103 Joe Heffernan disappeared but he's back Good yeah. afternoon Joe I don't know whether I disconnected you or you disconnected you or the gremlins were at work but you're, you're, you're with us there was a long, long silence, so I thought I was cut off and oh. I hung up, so my fault. OK, that's OK. That's OK. I thought the gremlins were at work. Anyway, uh, are you enjoying the fine weather? Oh, it's beautiful. Isn't, yeah. Isn't it great? Yeah. Isn't it great? It's great. It lifts the old spirits, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And you can mm. you can physically see people smiling and are, and are yeah. happier and yeah. even I noticed when I was out driving I was going to collect um, Marsha yesterday from the Gilbert Centre and traffic people even seem to be more relaxed in the traffic you know when you get Fair caught enough. in the school run yeah. so it's great yeah. now we're going to stay kind of on the school theme because today mm. with exams just around the corner and good luck to everybody with the exams but you want to talk about dyslexia I suppose start yeah. firstly with a definition of dyslexia Joe. Well, I suppose um, a person who is having difficulty um, with, uh, with reading and writing, really, um, uh, you know, uh, difficulty reading, um, dislikes reading, uh, the reading ability would not be in line with the chronological age. A person would be 16 and reading at level 10. 
um, confuses letters, especially similar, similar letters like B and D. Um, uh, does, uh, they're called reversals. Comprehension, of course, would not be good because it's like reading just one word after another without kind of joining the thinking on it. So the person would avoid reading and writing where possible. Um, uh, and it can have a problem with left and right. Um, uh, you know, might be a bit confused and forgetting to bring the homework, etc. Yeah, the organised, the organi- uh, the organisational skills are not great, and somebody not with great. Yeah, and and of course, all of that then would lead to maybe lower self esteem. But the first thing I would love to point out would be that um, a high, very high percentage of dyslexic people are highly, highly intelligent. I mean, really intelligent. Um, for example, uh, Richard Branson is dyslexic, Henry Ford, dyslexic, um, inventors Thomas Edison, Albert Einstein, dyslexic, uh, athletes Muhammad Ali, actors and entertainers uh, Cher, Tom Cruise, Noel Gallagher, Susan Hampshire, uh, Robbie Williams, politicians Winston Churchill, writers. Agatha Christie, William Butler Yeats. Wow, and for writers, that must have been really difficult at a time, particularly the ones you've named there, Agatha Christie and W.B. Yeats, at a time when dyslexia wasn't recognised. Yes, and Mm. and apparently um, William Butler Yeats's early uh, writing uh, of his poems, which, of course, he would be regarded as, you know, a supreme poet, um, uh, w- would be nearly impossible to read. That's how uh, it was died. That's how they discovered after uh, yeah. that William Butler Yeats had. Yeah. yeah, and it was the same with Agatha Christie when they found um, her notes. And today, yeah. it's, I mean, certainly when I would have been in school in, in the 70s, I can look back and think of one person in particular who, you know, really struggled with uh, reading. And I now realised that girl was dyslexic, but of course it wasn't recognised. It's much more recognised today, isn't it? Absolutely. And and uh, it's wonderful that it is. And uh, for example, I did many years in UCC um, doing student counselling uh, on College Road. And um, I would have met quite a, a lot, quite a Quite a lot of uh, students, say, doing um, masters and or PhDs, uh, really extremely intelligent people, but um, they would have called in to talk about difficulties they had had in their previous schools um, because they had now been um, uh, assessed as being dyslexic, and there were uh, now UCC was wonderful. There were all sorts of um, uh, support available. Um, You know, there could be a scribe. The person would speak and the scribe would write down what's being um, uh, said uh, in answer to questions on an exam paper, I presume. Yeah. And um, also the the use of maybe a laptop for getting stuff done Um, uh, like that. And uh, I had a wonderful experience one night um, 
which was actually in Bantir. Uh, I was doing a talk for um, uh, kids um, uh, on um, self-esteem. And uh, when I do that, I always talk a bit about dyslexia because I'd be kind of aware that there could be someone out there um, uh, who who would be dyslexic. And at the end of it, this little fella came up to me. It made my night. It was wonderful. And he said, Joe, he said, that was great because he said, I'm dyslexic, and I thought I was stupid. (laughs) And I I said, well, more than likely, you're probably the smartest guy in the room. And um, Yeah, yeah, and only only a couple of weeks ago, I spoke with uh, a lady by the name of uh, Rosie Bissett. She's the CEO of the Dyslexia Association of Ireland. And they launched a campaign earlier this month calling on the State Examination Commission for the Junior Cert and the Leaving Cert to introduce extra time for dyslexic students. And during the course of my interview with her, she was explaining that when young people go on to third level, they are given extra time. And it's widely accepted if you look at other countries, uh, extra time is given as standard uh, to to uh, to second level pupils. We give it in third level, but we don't give it in second level. So dyslexic students have to go in and sit junior junior cert exams and leaving cert exams, exams and they're not given the extra time. Whereas if you were in France, dyslexic students have, I think it's 33% extra time. Even in the UK, they get 25% extra time for their state exams. Like we really need to wake up and smell the roses and, and cut these kids a bit of slack. Absolutely, 120% which is there. Um, and uh, the thing is, you see, that um, uh, an assessment must be done. I was talking to a, a young boy about, um, oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and uh, he had been assessed, and he, you know, the principal was helping him to get the concessions for the exams. And... Um, he, he jokingly said to me, I wasn't quite dyslexic enough, apparently, yeah. because he didn't get the concessions. But the thing about it is that um, if I have a hole outside in the road, I can call it a pothole and you can call it a pothole. But if we're in court about it, uh, an engineer must declare that is a pothole. Yeah. Now, it's a bit the same with a lot of assessments that need to be done in Ireland. And um, uh, I I do a screening test, for example, for dyslexia, um, and that would be a first step, kind of. And uh, sometimes um, it would be clear that the person is dyslexic, but then they have to go to a specifically educational psychologist, and the, um, the assessment is written up, and then the Department of Education will accept that. But the problem is there's delays with those assessments. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Un- it's very hard to find someone for a start. And it also is, unfortunately, um, very expensive. Mm. Um, but if one wants to have the, um, the official uh, um, recognition and the um, concessions exam-wise that go with it, uh, that's the route that has to be taken. Now... Uh, as we all know, educational psychologists do attend um, schools, I suppose, like a lot of things. There isn't enough of them there. But um, so maybe it can be done that way. Um, uh, that would be um, the, the lady you spoke of there now a while ago would be well up in that. 
and anyone who'd want to further um, follow uh, what needs to be done, we'll say, or more information, as you mentioned, the Dyslexia Association of Ireland uh, would be the source of... Yeah, because I was, I mean, you can, as you say, there are many private and independent education psychologists, but you just need to check that the school will recognise the assessment you get. But it can vary in price from 550 euro to a thousand plus for the assessment. And that can be out of the reach for many families. Absolutely. You know? I mean, that's going to make anyone think twice, yeah, um, yeah. you know. It's very uh, difficult. It, so it really is difficult. And the other one, when, you know, you, you were calling out the various indicators of, mm. you know, possible symptoms of, of dyslexia, mm. no child, your child might necessarily have all of them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I don't think any child would tick all the boxes. But I mean, uh, in the initial assessment, um, what you'd basically be doing with initial an, an initial screening assessment would be you would be comparing um, chronological age with reading age. And if there's a significant gap between the chronological age of the person, uh, I'm talking now about, say, teenagers, and the, um, uh, and the reading age, well, then you would suggest to the person that they seek out the, uh, we'll call it the official um, uh, assessment. Uh, and, and then uh, whatever... Whatever concessions the exam wise are going, then um, another thing that uh, the principal can seek them out. But another thing that um, arose, I remember quite some time ago, uh, was that um, these concessions uh, and this assessment needs to be done extremely early in the in the school year. Like the, there's no point in uh, well, there is a point, but um, it wouldn't be the best. Uh, to be um, getting it done, you know, we'll say now if somebody was listening, um, uh, well, uh, it would be, it would be late now. Um, yeah, because yeah, we're coming to I the mean, end of the, we're coming to the end of the school year, but it's something that you need to get on top of for September. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. But just be aware, I think it's, I think, you know, we just need an awareness around dyslexia. I think schools now are starting, teachers are particularly good at uh, picking up on it, but parents as well, uh, often it's the parent will notice. I know when people give out about homework, I don't know how many times I've heard from parents, homework was great because it was while doing homework that they realised there was a bit of an issue with maybe a particular subject are, in this case, the parent might have started getting suspicious about dyslexia by sitting with their child doing homework. Absolutely. Okay. And, you know, to look out for the signs, like, really is a very, very reluctant reader, um, would avoid reading um, and writing if possible. Um, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, to ju- as you say, Patricia, and you say it correctly, to just be aware. Yeah, somebody's saying uh, a number of adults today would have gone through the school system. Many of them may have been dyslexic and they are some of the adults who today have problems with reading and uh, writing. And absolutely, there was people dropped out of school thinking they were thick because they couldn't read and write properly and have struggled all through their lives with reading and writing. And then you go to something like the, the adult literacy group. I'm sure they've got statistics on the number of people that they meet as adults who were undiagnosed dyslexics. Ab- ab- absolutely. And when you think of the potential that could have been um, lost, um, 
I mean, uh, the first thing I think if a person says to me that they are dyslexic, the first notion that comes into my head is that they're probably highly intelligent. And and that kind of, in a way, makes it worse because one would be aware and one would be, you know, uh, cognizant of the fact that they had missed out uh, on, on, a, on a lot of things and so, so many chances in life yeah okay got to wrap it up there Joe enjoy uh, the rest of this fine weather and we'll speak to you next Tuesday will indeed Patricia thanks for that bye bye Joe runs a counselling factor in practice in Boherbui his number is 086-834-8145 and thank you to somebody who has sent me in a very quick text to say there would be a victory parade in Bantir Tomorrow evening, it's expected to be about eight o'clock and it's for Dylan Corkery. Dylan, of course, was the Ross Talton uh, winner and they're promising more details to follow. Please get those details in. Uh, certainly get them into me tomorrow and I will give a shout out. So that's where I've got to leave you, though, for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you tomorrow at 10 onto the line. Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.